0: God is good, and all the time. Hey, turn to Jonah chapter number four. I'm gonna give it to you early so you can try to find it. All right. So it's a little small, minor prophet that's kind of hidden in there sometimes. But Jonah chapter four is where we're gonna be at this morning. Now, um, I had planned on starting a new series on on marriage, and uh, then I got a, into a big fight with my wife this week, so decided I wasn't qualified. No, I'm just kidding. Not true, not true. Uh, I just really felt like uh, God was leading me in a different way. So we're going to start that n- next Sunday. Uh, but when we think about this morning, on your, on your bulletin, I encourage you to get your bulletin out and take notes. Uh, if you uh, are on maybe your iPad or iPhone, you're on the UVersion Bible app, you can look under more there on the bottom right and then click on events. And all the notes are there as well right there on your phone. If that's easier for you to follow along with the scripture and everything. But this definition, this definition of compassion that's right here at the top of our bulletin this morning, it says sympathetic consciousness of others' distress. Okay, And so when we think about this this idea of compassion, most of us understand what it means. Most of us can kind of maybe somewhat articulate and maybe do that without using big words that, that are on the bulletin here. But I think the important part, the the most important part of this definition is what the blank says. Okay, so let me read it again and then we'll, we'll let you fill in the blank, okay? Definition of compassion sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with the desire to alleviate it, with the desire to do something about it. Like compassion, if we really are compassionate about something, it's not just something we feel, it's not just something. We see, it involves that, like we see someone in need and, it, and, and we have this emotion attached to that. We feel that, we feel their hurt or their pain or their sorrow or their grief or whatever might be that we're leading to feel compassionate about. But the most important part about compassion is not only that we see and feel something, that we, we are in our life, we are drawn to that, but it's, the most important part is what this, the rest of this definition, that there's a desire to do something about it. Like Compassion without action really isn't compassion, is it? Compassion without action is just really like we feel sorry for them. It, it's kind of like the difference between being sorry and, and repenting. Sometimes we're sorry because we got caught, we're not really sorry or we're not repentant. We, we just wish we wouldn't have got caught. And so compassion is, really, is not really compassion unless it moves us to action. The title of this message this morning is Embrace the Heart of God. And this really, this, this is the heart of God. God was moved with compassion when, when Pastor Dave mentioned about that, that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him was us. The joy that was set before him was that he was going to reconcile the broken relationship between God because of our sin, and, and that was going to get fixed. It was going to get fixed because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, and, and he just wasn't, oh, I feel sorry for them. He was moved with compassion that led him to the cross. So when we think about this idea of embracing the heart of God, we see the heart of God in all throughout Scripture. We see it in one of the most quoted verses of Scripture in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That's the first part of the definition, the compassion. There was love. There was emotion. There was empathy. There was sympathy. But the rest of it is the rest of this definition, right? He so loved the world that he did. What did he do? He gave. He gave his only son, and so he was moved with compassion, we, we understand in Scripture, per, in 1 Peter, it says that Jesus, that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John 3.17 says that, that he Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but to give the world life Amen. and to save them. And so that's the heart of God this morning. I think most of us could somewhat articulate that. Most of us could understand that. But the question is not about, Do we understand the heart of God? The question for us this morning is, is do we embrace the heart of God? Do we embrace the heart of God? In in Mark chapter 1, there's two or three verses I just want to read for us this morning that really just kind of give a good picture of this thinking that when, when Jesus was moved with compassion, first he saw a need, he felt the need, and then he engaged in the need. So in Mark chapter 1, it says this, uh, Now a leper came to him, and remember in this context, the, the lepers, those who had leprosy, okay, so leper is not an animal here. It's somebody with leprosy. And when this person with leprosy, in, the, in this context, they would have what they would call leper colonies, right? And so all those with leprosy were outcast. No one would touch them, no one would see them, and they were, they were outcasts, gone and exiled to a place where no one would see them again. And, and so that's the context. Now a leper came to him, being Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This, this man with leprosy comes to Jesus, if you are willing, you can Kill me. Now let's look at verse number 41. It says, Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. So we really see the, the heart of God in this statement, in this verse. So here's the reality. Jesus could have healed this man, this person without leprosy, with leprosy, without touching him. You know what this person with leprosy would have, would have desired at this moment? In fact, last week we were, we were talking uh, to a missionary family. And this missionary uh, family is, is going to Japan, but they were telling us about some friends that are missionaries uh, in, in a closed world where, really, we, we just wouldn't tell you where they're at, but in this area, in this region, they have, they have leper colonies. And they send people out with leprosy, and leprosy is very easily cured with some medicine, but in this particular area, they don't have that medicine, and so there's actually still leper colonies. And these missionaries were telling us that their missionary friends go into this colony, into this area where everyone is removed from their family, and they just go in and they hug people. And and these people that have leprosy, again, this is going on right now, being hugged. What what the testimony I heard from them was, they experienced the love of Jesus just in this hug. And so the heart of Jesus, the heart of God is this heart of compassion, this heart of mercy. And we see this, that Jesus sees the need. Jesus Feels the need. He understands, and, and it's observed, and it's, it's realized in here by just simply touching this person with leprosy, and he heals him. So, so do we understand this morning that God loves you? Can you shake your head with me this morning? I understand that. Amen. And he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. That's the heart of God. But again, that's not the question I want you to think about this morning. So there's two questions I want you to wrestle with as we walk through this Jonah chapter 4 this morning, the first one is this, if you've experienced the heart of God, if you understand the heart of God, if you've given your life to Christ, you've experienced God's love in your own life through salvation by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, if that is you this morning, the question is very simple, are you embracing the heart of God? Are you, are you truly embracing the heart of God? And, and as I ask the question, I know the, the, the immediate response is going to be, yeah. But, but don't answer that yet, okay? Think through this as we, as we walk through our text this morning. The second question is, is this. It's maybe for the other half of the people in the room. If you have never experienced the heart of God, you've never given your life to Christ, you've never called on Jesus for salvation, you've never placed your trust in him for eternity by placing your faith in Jesus, if you've never done that, then my question for you today is, would you do that today? Would you make that decision today? Okay, so everyone has a question to wrestle with this morning, all right? So as we look through our text. Now, the reason I, I'll give you a little more background, why I decided to shift from our marriage series, The Vow, to what we're talking about this morning. Uh, Wednesday afternoon, I was in my office, and, and I was preparing for Wednesday night, and I got a message from somebody that had, they had videoed their with their phone they had videoed their tv screen and it was the 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 um trial or i was actually the testimony of of the you know the testimony that went viral this week right and so i showed that wednesday night and it was it just kind of blew my mind the the grace and the compassion that this brother would have for the for the woman that killed his own brother And then I wake up Thursday morning, and I read Jonah chapter 4, only because that's what was in our reading plan. If you're following in our reading plan, our daily reading plan, Jonah chapter 4 was Thursday. So I got up early that morning, I read Jonah chapter 4 while going to bed Wednesday night with the picture and the the imagery of this this young 18-year-old boy who had offered amazing grace and forgiveness and who, what I would say, embrace the heart of God. And then I wake up Thursday morning and I read Jonah chapter 4, the prophet of God who does not embrace the heart of God. And it makes me think, how about us this morning in here? Which one are you most like? Because remember what the question is that we're wrestling with. If I've experienced the heart of God, am I embracing the heart of God? And in Jonah chapter 1, you know the story, right? God comes to Jonah and says, go to Nineveh. This is the people of Assyria. This is the people that have persecuted the Israelites. This is the people that are their enemies. This is the people that that they don't like. And God says, go to these people, preach the message of repentance. And if you preach the message of repentance, and if they repent... I'm gonna forgive them and I'm not gonna destroy them and remember Jonah goes in the opposite direction he gets on a boat and then God sends a storm and so because of the storm the sailors throw Jonah overboard and as soon as they throw him over the board God stops the storm and God then has a fish and the fish comes and swallows Jonah. Jonah finally cries out to God in chapter 2, and then, and then he's spit up on the dry ground, right? And then in chapter 3, he goes to Nineveh. Because God comes to him again the second time. Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach repentance. And Jonah finally goes, and reluctantly, he preaches the message of repentance. And let's look at the last verse of chapter 3, verse 10. After he preaches, verse 10, Then God saw their works that they turn from their evil way. In other words, they had repented. God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Isn't that awesome? Jonah preaches the message, and everybody in the city repents. They, they throw away their idols. They worship the one and true God, the God of the nation of Israel. And, and don't you think that Jonah is like embracing the heart of God and so excited about what God has done? The the truth is, I wish that Jonah only had three chapters. I wish the story ended here, because it would seem like a much better story. It would seem like a story made for Disney, right? And they lived happily ever after. But let's keep reading the chapter. And again, we're wrestling with the question, I've experienced the heart of God, but do I really embrace the heart of God? Verse 1, chapter 4. But this displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? So understand, if you ever wonder, why did Jonah run? It's very clear why Jonah went in the opposite direction. It's very clear why Jonah didn't want to do what God asked him to do. And this verse tells us exactly why Jonah ran. Look, look what it says. Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know. This just doesn't make sense. The heart of Jonah. Look what he says. I know that you are gracious and merciful God. Slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. What Jonah is saying, I know the heart of God. The God that I know, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that we serve today. What Jonah would say is, I know he's gracious. I know he's long-suffering. I know he's merciful. I know he's compassionate. And that's exactly why I didn't want to tell those people. That's the heart of Jonah. Those people didn't deserve God's compassion. Those people didn't deserve God's grace, but what Jonah is saying is somehow some way he apparently did deserve God's grace and God's compassion. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. And, And so we have this prophet who's pouting up on a hillside, really hoping that these people would maybe change their mind, that they would not repent, and that God would destroy them. Because these people, his enemy, they don't deserve the compassion of God. They don't deserve the grace of God. That's what Jonah is thinking. Verse 6, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery so Jonah was very grateful for the plant but as morning dawned the next day God prepared a worm and it damaged the plant that it withered and it happened when the Sun arose that God prepared a east wind and the Sun beat on Jonah's head so he grew faint then he wished death for himself and then said it is better for me to die than to live then God said to Jonah is it right for you to be angry with about this plant And he said, do you get what's taking place here? Jonah is sitting on the side of the hill really mad at God. He's frustrated that God really gave forgiveness and grace and mercy and compassion to these people that he didn't feel deserved it. And he sits up there, and so God provides the shade for him. He's thankful for the shade. Then the next morning, God sends a worm to destroy the shade. Now Jonah is so mad, God, you might as well kill me because you took away my shade Tree. And Jonah and God says to Jonah, Is it really right for you to be this angry, this upset over this? I'm gonna interject a word, stupid plant. That's the question God asked Jonah. How, how does Jonah respond? Because we know the answer, right? We know what the answer should be. The answer should be, no, I'm I'm not really justified in my anger. But you and I both know that when you're mad, you're mad and you're mad, and you're not you you guys, everybody, shake your head. You understand? Like, how many of you have ever just gone down a road so far in your anger, you're like, it's too far to turn back now? I, how many of you are the stubborn person in the room? Okay, how many of you are so stubborn, you're not going to raise your hand, right? <laughs> that was me. Man, I would be down the road so far, so deep into my lie or so deep into my anger. I know that, man, I should have turned around 10 weeks ago, and I'm still mad, I'm still yelling, and I'm still, I'm not going to admit that I'm wrong. Can I get an amen? Stubborn people say amen with me, right? And that's Jonah. We know what the answer is. Everybody who reads this story knows that Jonah, Jonah, say no. I'm not justified in my anger. But what does Jonah say? It is right for me to be angry even to death. Yeah, God, I have a right to be angry. But the Lord said, You had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. Really, Jonah? You really think you have a right to be angry for a plant that you didn't create? Verse number 11. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? And much livestock. Jonah, you have more compassion for this plant than you, do for these, than you do for these people. Let me read a few statements about this. And I'm going to clarify that these are quotes just so you won't be mad at me when I read them, okay? Jonah's affections were distorted. He cared more for a vine than for human lives. He cared more for his personal comfort than his spiritual destiny of thousands of people. And can I just be real honest with you this morning? Let's let's think about the question. If I've experienced the heart of God, can I really say that I embrace the heart of God? Listen to this statement. Jonah cared more for the personal comfort than for the spiritual desire or destiny of thousands of people and I'm afraid that in in a lot of our churches today we we are closer to the the heart of Jonah than we are to the heart of God and let, let me be a little more transparent than that I'm afraid that in my own life I'm more concerned about my comfort my preferences that I'm about people. And I think that if you're honest this morning, you'd probably have to say the same thing. That oftentimes we find ourselves more like Jonah than we want to admit. Let me read another statement. If reputation is more important than character, we're in danger of being like Jonah, living to defend our prejudices instead of our purpose. It goes on to say, Jonah was was a narrow-minded patriot who saw Assyria only as a dangerous enemy to destroy, not repentant sinners who needed the Lord. And in our culture today, I think we oftentimes, like Jonah, Think those people who don't look like us, don't act like us, don't vote like us, don't talk like us, don't think like us, don't deserve God's grace. Again, I'm hoping this morning you're wrestling with the question, if I've experienced the heart of God, do I really embrace the heart of God? on your outline there's three blanks and and I've already said them a few times maybe you've already caught what the answers are but let me give them to you you see God was active in his compassion when he sent Jonah God was active in his in his compassion when he sent Jesus to the cross who endured the cross for the joy that was set before him what does active compassion do then number one active compassion sees And I'm wondering this morning how many of you could write down on your bulletin this morning a few people that you know that don't know Jesus. Because statistics would tell us that most of us, the longer that we've been saved, the less likely it is we even know someone who's not saved. So how can we have active compassion for the lost if we don't even know anyone personally that is lost? Act of compassion sees, and if I couldn't all, all of a sudden automatically, and, and trust me, I know it's difficult. If it's difficult for you, just understand it is difficult for me as well. I, I, I come to my work every day with people who know Jesus, and maybe you do too. Act of compassion sees. Number two, act of compassion fills. When was the last time you earnestly prayed for someone who was lost? So so back up to number one, if if you don't know anyone that's lost, number two is a little more difficult, isn't it? Who who do you know that's lost? And who right now are you currently praying for that's lost? Who's that person at night that keeps you up because you're praying, God, I want to see them come to Jesus. We, we go to bed with a, with a lot of worries on our mind, don't we? A lot, of, a lot of us do. But I wonder if those worries would somewhat fall into the same category of Jonah and his plant. We're, we have more prayer over things that honestly don't matter that much. Active compassion sees the lost. Active compassion feels the burden of telling. I mean, if, you, if you've experienced the heart of God, if you've been in church for very long, you know what the responsibility of all of us is. Our responsibility is to tell people about Jesus. We are to make disciples who make disciples. That's what God has commissioned us to do. And if we're not actively pursuing people, if we're not actively praying for people, who are far from Jesus who don't know Jesus then I'm I'm convinced we're more like Jonah than we realize it active compassion sees it feels and then the third thing is it engages it's one thing just to come into church and pray and it's another thing just to sit at home and pray and I hope you're doing that I hope I hope you're actively praying for someone who doesn't know Jesus but if you're not engaging them in conversation, if you're not going and telling, that Matthew 28 says, go make disciples, go tell people about Jesus. Really, the understanding of that, that passage doesn't just mean, oh, go over to Kenya or go over to uh, anywhere else. It's as, The understanding is as you go. So in your daily life, wherever your life takes you, wherever your job takes you, your school takes you, wherever you're doing, as you go, make disciples. Engage people with the gospel. So Wednesday night, I go to bed watching these videos and thinking about this young man that, that obviously embraced the heart of God. I get up the next morning and I read about the prophet of God who obviously does not embrace the heart of God. And the question then for us this morning is, if we've experienced the heart of God, do we really embrace it? Let's watch this this morning.
1: I hope you go to God with all what all the guilt, all the thing, the bad things you may have done in the past, each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. if you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself i I forgive you and I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die. Just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. and I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please?
2: Yes.
1: But I also want to now talk a little bit about more of what happened in the courtroom because right after you saw the hug and the embrace with uh, both um, uh, Jean's brother and Amber Geiger, you also saw some extraordinary grace extended by the um, by the judge. And so uh, Jason Trahan was actually inside the uh, courtroom and I want him to tell you exactly what the judge told Amber Geiger because it was quite incredible.
2: Well, Rebecca. Um. That was one of the, I've never seen anything like that, in 20 years covering courts. Um, after Botham John's brother got permission from the judge to hug Amber, which was extraordinary. And all the deputies, they had no clue how to handle that because that's a security concern. Um, but once, once she gave that permission, The whole tenor of the courtroom changed. Um, Then the judge went down off off of the bench and talked to the family, and then she went over and spoke directly to Amber, and then she got down and spoke to her in her ear, and then she got upset and she left the courtroom. This is the judge I'm talking about. The judge returned with a book in her hand. And she said, Amber, this is a, this is a, I have three or four of these Bibles. I want you to have this. And she gave her one of her Bibles to take with her into jail. And then she started to talk to her about the Bible. And the judge said, this is your job while you're in custody. And she turned to John 3.16 and said, this will strengthen you. And then began instructing her on, on how she should comport herself over the next 10 years. And everybody in the courtroom is just standing there with their mouths open. Most of us are trying not to cry while we're watching this happen. Um, Amber then hugs the judge and tells her something that prompts the judge to say, um, oh, it's not me that's good. It's because I'm a believer in Christ. Um, And she says, I'm not so good. You haven't been, uh, you haven't done as much as you think you have and you can be forgiven. She urged Amber to forgive herself. Because we heard from, and during testimony, some of her friends said Amber had had a hard time forgiving herself for what had happened, understandably. Um, This is also the judge. She said, quote, you did something bad in one moment in time, what you do now matters. And that's how it ended. The judge hugged her again and then said, you take that with you and gave her the Bible. And Amber is at this point, Crying, and they take her into the secure area where the felons go. And that was how it worked. That's how it ended.
0: We've got two questions this morning. The second question we talked about. I want to talk about it first, right now. If you've never experienced salvation, forgiveness of Jesus, as you heard this young man who's talking to the woman who married, who murdered his brother. Remember what he said? The best thing for you is to give your life to Jesus. And I, I wanna use his words this morning. If you've never experienced and never given your life to Jesus Christ, the best thing for you is to give your life to Jesus. Amen. In, a, in a moment, we're gonna stand, we're gonna continue in worship in a moment. And and when we do, there's gonna be a few of us we are gonna be standing down here. And I wanna challenge you this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, the best thing for you is to do that today. And there's gonna be several of us down here, men and women, if you would like to do that today, if you'd like to know what that means, I'm gonna ask you when we stand to walk down here, shake our hand and say, I want Jesus. We would love to open up the Bible and show you exactly what that means and how you can have forgiveness of sins. The first question we asked this morning was, if you've experienced the heart of God, do you embrace the heart of God? So we have a contrast that's that's kind of been set before us this morning. We have Jonah, the prophet of God, who knew the heart of God, who had experienced the heart of God, but did not embrace the heart of God. We have an 18-year-old young man who obviously had experienced the heart of God and embraced the heart of God. And which one most represents you? Which one most represents you? Are you actively engaged in sharing the gospel with someone? Are you actively engaged in praying for someone that's lost? And here's my challenge for you this morning. If you're wrestling with this question, would you commit this morning to write down one name in that bulletin, one name. If you'll commit to do that, I want you to do it right now. Get your bulletin back out, write a name down of someone you know that doesn't know Jesus. Write their name down and commit. I'm gonna pray for them. I'm gonna ask God to burden my heart for more people, more than just one, and that I'll engage them going to pray. I'm going to ask God for a burden, and I'm going to engage them. And if you do that this morning, when we stand in a moment, I'm going to ask you to take another step. It's one thing to sit there privately and write down on your bulletin. I'm going to ask you in a moment when we stand to come to the altar. Bring, Bring your bulletin with you. Pray over that person. Ask God to give you a greater burden for lost people. Would you stand with me as I pray? God, I thank you for this today. God, I pray in my own life, Lord, that you would give me a greater burden. Lord, that I would be more like this young 18-year-old boy who sees the one opportunity he would have to share the gospel with this lady. Lord, that I would not be like Jonah, more concerned with my problems, my issues, my worries, than I am with lost people. May we this morning as a church, may we as individuals, may we again be reminded of those who don't know Jesus. Lord, may you break our hearts to share our faith, to pray for the lost, to engage them, to be compassionate. Use us, Lord. We surrender to you, we commit to you. God, today we want to embrace the compassionate heart of God. As we sing this morning, I ask you to respond.